Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Sarah. Today, we are joined by Larry Vodak, owner and shopkeeper of Scout, an urban furniture shop and design business in the heart of Andersonville, located at 5221 North Clark. At Scout, you'll find vintage, reclaimed, and repurposed furniture and industrial accessories. Visit often as the inventory rotates daily. Welcome, Larry. As always, it's wonderful to see you. How are you today? Hello, Sarah. Nice to see you. Always nice to see you. Thank you. It's hard to know where to start. There are so many ways that we could begin this conversation, um, but I thought it would be fun to start with you telling our listeners about your background. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? And what kind of main things led you to the world of design? Let's, uh, let's kind of start from a career standpoint, because I think that's really what drove me primarily into the business as it's currently kind of structured. I spent 26 years in the ad business uh, at major agencies. I was at the Needham, Harper & Steers uh, back in the glory days of advertising, uh, as well as Foot Conan Belding, and I spent many years at Ogilvy & Mather. Um, I kind of left advertising with my hair on fire. The business changed drastically over the years. And, um, you know, marketing today, especially in the large ad agencies, is very much about throwing a bunch of jello against the wall, hoping something sticks. And having grown up in the business in a very disciplined fashion uh, with strategy and positioning, being very, very um, focused and a very detailed business, it was very hard for me to make the shift and to make the changes. So as committed as I was to the business, it was really hard to get up in the morning every day and, and slough through it. So um, instead of continuing to slough through it, I decided uh, to heed my mother's advice. My mother always taught us kids, find your passion and then figure out a way to make a living at it. It's a two-step process. And I don't think that I've ever been given better advice than that. And um, it really remains true to this day, I think, uh, for people struggling to find their footing in the world in terms of what they want to do in their careers. I still think that's the best advice. Find your passion and then figure out a way to make a living at it. I was fortunate enough to have a passion that was antiquing. My uh, now ex-in-laws introduced me to antiquing back up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Um, when I went up there, the old man used to say, let's go scouting. And I had no idea what scouting meant the first time I did it, but scouting since became the term that I understood as antiquing. So that's kind of uh, the, the nature of how Scout the name came into being. It really is an homage to, to those that taught me my passion, that introduced me to my passion. Um, so um, I also spent a lot of time in New York, uh, uh, in the West Village. When I used to be in advertising, we used to have a lot of time when we used to go to the New York office and uh, waiting for the flight to, to leave uh, LaGuardia often had an hour or so and I would find myself down in the West Village kind of meandering through the streets. I found that all the, the streets had a, 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 usually had a shop, a home store that had a very specific positioning, a very specific look. It, it mattered less to me whether I liked the look and it was more the fact that there was a kind of a curated um, home offering that these stores had. Now, none of them exist anymore, but in those days, I really kind of yearned for something similar in Chicago. I felt like Chicago had a lot of the big antique malls, and they had a lot of the places that uh, you'd see by the Merchandise Mart, which 
Everybody looked like they just smelled a fart when you walked in. They were very humpy-uppity. <laughs> so I really felt like there was a, an opportunity for a very curated neighborhood store that brought together items that somebody really loved and cared and, and gave a damn about. Uh, kind of that was, the, that was the birth of Scout. You kind of touched on it all because I was going to ask you, was there something that, yeah, no, it's so good. Was there something that sparked your passion? And you talked about, you know, your your design experience and then experiencing those stores in New York. And um, was there a moment when all of that kind of came together for you and you thought, I'm going to open up my own storefront? I mean, it was um, it was one of those things where it was um, all the elements of the cosmos came together in, a, in an odd fashion to be supportive of this. And I uh, signed the lease, and um, uh, the rest kind of went very quickly. It was all kind of a blur. Back then, we didn't have cell phones, and we didn't have um, uh, pictures on cell phones, so I have very few pictures of the opening. I was kind of a quiet opening. Mm -hmm. In fact, I remember the day that I opened, uh, the first purchaser asked me if they could have a, uh, a receipt, and I completely had no idea. I never even thought of the concept of a receipt. So um, I took a, a, a eight and a half by 11 sheet out of the copier and I just wrote down what they bought. And uh, I very quickly uh, went after, um, I went to a Kinko's and had some receipts pulled off and made. But uh, it was very much um, by the seat of my pants uh, in opening Scout at the time. If you're out there with that receipt, we want it back. <laughs> we want it framed what? in the archives of Andersonville's history. <laughs> Well, what else do you remember about, you know, your first week or your first day being open in Andersonville? You know, I remember, um, I remember the neighbors, uh, you know, I think what makes you so Andersonville so distinctive is the, the connective tissue that exists between the, the, the neighborhood and the shopping district. I can't tell you how many people would come in and they said, you're going to be a success. You're going to do well. We're, we're, we're going to, it's almost as if they willed it to happen and they weren't going to accept anything other than success. There was this, this belief that we're all in it together. And it was such a surprising kind of um, observation from the people. And to this day, I will, I will remain um, just, amazingly blessed and supportive and grateful for the community and their response. Probably, um, in fact, it's been increasing. I get more business from the streets just uh, east of me than I get from anywhere else. Uh, you know, where we're likely to get a lot of Bucktown residents, we're likely to get a lot of Wicker Park, Evanston. Um, the folks that continue to be the backbone of our business is the neighbors in the in the ten block radius to the store. Very grateful for that. That's great, and we've heard that from other people on the podcast. Like our first episode with Michael Bransford, the owner of Vincent, you know, said the exact same thing. Different sector, but our customers are our neighbors, and they're loyal to us. And that's great to hear. Um, over the years, we've kind of watched you since you've opened Scout recruit other home and design uh -huh, businesses yes. to join you in Andersonville and literally we to all be rise and fall together. Yeah, <laughs> to be your neighbor. So from your perspective, what is unique about the cluster that has formed here in Andersonville of home and design businesses? You know, I hate to sound technical, but it is kind of based in this concept. I think Harvard Business School uh, 
kind of coined the phrase, maybe, um, maybe I'm exaggerating to make the point, but um, my mother always said, if it's not worth exaggerating, it's not worth telling. But um, there's this concept called retail agglomeration where a lot of like-minded businesses can all really survive and actually thrive when they're within close proximity of each other. So I always felt like inherently, if, if, I'm, if I'm a quasi-destination for folks that are looking for home furnishings or home items that are distinctive and unique, then um, I would perhaps be benefited if there were a couple more shops just like me around, uh, around where I'm located. And, you know, the nice thing about it is since the other home stores have come in, I think that my positioning has been sharpened and enhanced because when there's other entities in the area, you really can't afford to become somewhat loose in your positioning. You really have to stay very focused. People have to know exactly what you're good at and perhaps by omission what you're not going to be good at. You know, positioning is the art of sacrifice. And I tend to believe that um, Scout's positioning has stayed fairly consistent over the years. Um, People know what to expect when they come into our store. Um, And I think that that's helped us. we don't encroach too much on the positioning of the other home stores. Um, I'm not sure if that's by design or kind of how it's evolved, but uh, I kind of feel like we all have our unique place in uh, in the, the matrix of, uh, of home furnishing offerings, if you will. Mm-hmm. And speaking of you know unique space, Scout is like an art gallery and clearly reflective of your personal style. Describe for us your aesthetic. What is the Scout look? Um, and maybe you can tell us what you mean by the statement, it is less about style and more about a feeling. Wow. You know, it, it's odd because over the years, my definition of the scout look has kind of evolved and changed even. Um, although the look really has remained somewhat the same, it's, it's hard to define. Years ago, I took a, a shining and I, I did this really with the help of my, my now ex-wife and, and her family. But I always enjoyed... Um, stumbling upon old courthouse tables or uh, chairs from libraries and uh, places from commercial institutions where you looked at the piece and in the environment you knew that it was great for the library or the courthouse, but you take it out of that environment and you think about it in the home and all of a sudden to me that's when it really kind of became special and all of a sudden it it became um, something distinctive. I, I tend to think that I always responded to the very clean, simple line associated with commercial furniture of those days. You know, the, um, uh, the libraries used to have just some great old um, um, which, uh, Remington tables uh, that were designed by very famous architects that uh, you just would never expect them to put their name on a, on a piece of furniture, but they did so... Uh, when there was this huge building that was being kind of uh, furnished. And, uh, and I loved this stuff. I just loved repurposing it. And um, uh, I always was fond of metal. You know, metal has kind of become fairly fashionable these days in, in, uh, in items, whether it's uh, chairs or, or bookshelves and so forth. But I always liked metal to be added to the wood. It was kind of a neat way to kind of soften it. But... Um, you know, I, I guess when you talked about the feeling, the scout look is very much to me in the feeling. It just is a is a space, an environment, a place that just feels very comfortable, unpretentious, very finished, 
and complete and functional without having any fussiness, without being um, formal or stuffy. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, and, and, and with that, you know, with speaking of those, those courthouse tables, we know that you are not afraid of large objects and that function and yeah, the functionality. Yeah, delivery guys. Yeah, those, right? Those say, this is really heavy, and the delivery guys say, yeah, we know it's from Scout. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the function and the functionality of, of each piece is significant. Um, can we speak more about design in general, perhaps about those basic design tenets of scale and form and function? Yeah, oh, you're really making me... Lay it all out there, aren't you? <laughs> um, I, I mean, may yeah, or may not be interested in design. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, um, I, you know, it's funny because we see a lot of young folks that will come into the store and that will be beginning their initial purchases as a couple for their home. And it's always interesting. I find myself talking to them in almost a paternal way, but I find that what I tend to say to them is awfully honest and true and real. And it really kind of represents the culmination of a lot of what I tend to really believe in. I'll tell them, first of all, never bring anything into the home that you don't love. Literally, there's so many options out there for the home these days, so many ways that you can furnish a home. Um, you know, back when I was furnishing my first home when I first came out of college to Chicago, you know, there was a, a um, Colby's and John M. Smith. There were just a few furniture stores. And I, if you didn't know about antiques in this world, you really were kind of limited. There weren't that many options for you. And now, for God's sake, you can walk through Ikea, and I'm telling you, there's no reason to live life unstylishly. Uh, there's just so many options and so many ways that you can put a home together that makes sense. But I would suggest, again, this, this one basic tenet, don't bring anything in the home that you don't love. Um, it just is to me it gives off a bad energy when it when it's done when you kind of just throw stuff in there um, I'm not very Shirley McLean-ish but I believe that certain homes give off a good energy and certain homes give off a bad one and and a good one really begins with stuff that you love that you embrace that you that you want to have for a for a long time the second thing is instead of buying three medium pieces I would always buy one big piece um, it's amazing how small pieces added to a home that's not fully complete just makes the space look junky and just makes it unkempt. And that kind of affects people emotionally and, and uh, you know, um, it just affects their moods. I just don't like to be around stuff that feels disheveled and kind of unkempt. And sometimes, no matter how tidy a place is, if it's got a bunch of small little things all over the place, it just doesn't feel right. So I'm a big believer that you... You go high with things. I love big, tall bookshelves. If you've got nine-foot ceilings, go eight feet with the bookshelves. Go high. If you can't go that high, then stack them with baskets and something above it. But always go high because in most city homes, you want to stress height. You want to stress the, that component to it. Um, upholstery is key. Most upholstery that you buy from, from new stores today is so oversized the proportions just don't work people will look at these things in the showroom and remember the showroom typically has 20 foot ceilings mm -hmm. so it's hard sometimes to get gain a sense of what the true proportion is but take my word for it the proportion is all wrong in most instances so you put that into a home that's not fully formed and all of a sudden it's like that the energy just gets sucked out of the room because the upholstery overwhelms things so my advice is consider uh, vintage upholstery 
consider aligning yourself with a good upholsterer that can take it, gut it, and put whatever you want on it. That, to me, is uh, so much more preferable. And it's a great basis for a home. So tall, high things, cabinets, bookshelves, the right upholstery, um, a couple love seats, uh, straddling a bookshelf or a fireplace with a fire with a uh, long, thin coffee table in between. To me, you can't go wrong. It's just like standard issue. And um, of course, we can help you do that at Scout. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, design now represents about fifty percent of our revenue, and we did that kind of unwittingly um, several years ago. The um, uh, wonderful uh, Ann Rashford, who uh, is the exhibits director at the Museum of Science Industry, had been a good customer of ours, asked me if I would be interested in furnishing the smart home, which was their very green, energy-efficient home on the nave of the museum over by Lakeshore Drive. You're skipping to our questions. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even see Great flow. No, keep going. But you know what's interesting? She she uh, came in and she it floored me. It never occurred to me that somebody would want me to to uh, go beyond a one-off purchase and uh, contribute to the way a place looks. And I cautioned her. I said, you know, Ann, I'm not uh, an interior designer. <laughs> and with that, the very proper Ann said something along the lines of bullshit. You're not an interior designer. She said, I see what you do every day here. And with the constant changing, she said, you're very much a designer in, in my, my way of looking at, at things. So she said, I want you to give some thought to doing that. And she said it would be an interesting combination of adding only vintage pieces to the smart home. Previously, all the designers that did the smart home brought in new items, which felt kind of like it undercut the core positioning of the, the home being this great green edifice. Um, and um, I made a commitment that first time. I said yes. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but I called on all my relationships and I said, look, we got an opportunity here. Don't let me fail. And um, we furnished three floors of the smart home in a short period of time. And I got to tell you, I loved it. I loved a canvas where I had the opportunity to kind of bring everything together and kind of do it my way and do it in a way that really reflected my my sense of what the scout look was. I mean, it was truly the scout look, a little more formal than we would typically see. But the house was great. The house was done, uh, architected by Michelle Kaufman out of the Northwest, a wonderful architect. I mean, the house was so easy to furnish, and I think that's always the, the sign of a well-architected home. It was just a no-brainer. There was just always... Uh, easy solutions for the space and uh, I love doing it Uh, so much so that they asked me to do it the second year in a row which nobody had ever been asked to do and I kind of I kind of said yeah now this was fun because I was no longer intimidated by it I was kind of uh, inspired by it and excited about the opportunity so we changed the look a second time and uh, to this day I give much credit to uh, Ann Rashford who kind of um believed in me before I knew what to believe in myself. Mm-hmm. You know, that always kind of is the case as you evolve through your life. Certain people make quite a difference, and um, she's quite abroad. <laughs> she um, really was very helpful. To this day, every time I see her, I hug her, and we just kind of hang on to each other a little longer than we normally <laughs> would. Um, wonderful woman. Yeah. Wonderful opportunity. 
Well, it's an amazing story. And to hear how you um, how you and Scout have evolved from the, the person who went scouting in New Hampshire to the mm. first interior designer to be asked to design the smart home two years in a row at MSI. And me. It's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's incredible. And it kind of begs the question, who inspires you? Are there artists? Are there musicians, fellow designers that you have followed over the years that have shaped the way that you approach your craft? Before I answer, let me just go back. Cause you, what you just said was kind of interesting. I have never seen, I don't, you, captured what I do in such a unique way and it sounded so special and I want to I want to tell everybody who kind of might listen to this that may be struggling to find their place in uh, the workaday world um, don't spend a day doing anything you don't love I mean literally I can't tell you what um, what opening up this store has done uh, for my sense of self, my life, my view of my future. I don't believe in retirement. You know, I, I look at these retirement ads and I just laugh at them because I could never imagine myself stopping what I'm doing. I'm certainly going to have to hire people to pick this stuff up as I age, but um, I can't imagine not doing something in this vein. So, you know, don't spend an hour doing something you don't love. It just is such a waste and um, life is too precious. But um, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Um, in terms of people who have inspired me, it's, it's an odd, inspiration has come through several ways. Uh, inspiration has come in large part to, to several customers that have believed in me. Uh, so beyond the Ann Rashfords of the world, uh, I remember taking a gentleman who I won't name publicly, but he is known throughout the development community. Um, he developed the Chicago Athletic Association Hotel, so House, many other things. I took him on a tour of my work at the museum. And um, back then, the museum gave me a key to the back gate of the museum. So it was kind of yeah. very, uh, <laughs> it felt really kind of cool because I could pull up to the back gate uh, and bypass all the different parking and, and other areas. And I could literally just walk into the smart home with any guests that I wanted to at any time of the day or night. And I did this on a Saturday morning with this gentleman. He had come into the store, he and his wife. And I asked him um, if he'd be interested in coming and taking a look at what I did. And he said, absolutely. So one morning uh, we took him and he walked around the place and he, um, he said, uh, you did all this? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he said, he said, it looks great. Looks really, looks really nice. And he said, what's nice about it, it doesn't look done. It doesn't look like a designer did it. It, does, it looks... Uh, organic, looks special, looks distinctive, authentic, which is everything that I like to believe that Scout's good at. And um, about three months later, he and his wife called and said that they bought their dream house on uh, a lovely street in Lincoln Park and said he wanted me to do it. And I kind of had the same reaction that I did when I uh, was asked by Ed Rashford to do the smart home. It was like I was, I was stunned. It just never occurred to me again. But you thought you were instance, not an interior designer. <laughs> I didn't, you know, and it, it's like, I, I don't do this kind of stuff. Well, they believed in me. And um, we hired a contractor. We knocked down walls. We repositioned uh, load-bearing beams. We redid kitchens and bathrooms. And uh, they asked me to come back for a second tour of duty several years later. But 
it's people like that that really kind of allowed me, demanded that I kind of go to places that I might otherwise feel a little insecure, a little less confident going. I think that those, those are people that have inspired me um, uh, tremendously. And with that home, um, you know, you can, you can see photos of that home online, I believe. And, uh, it was, it was published in Chicago magazine. Yeah. And, and, and in that space, they had kids as well. And so you designed that space to incorporate their children and, and, you know, you took that all into consideration and it really is a beautiful space. So, uh, well, it was odd because, you know, most, most designers, quote unquote, kind of wait a career a lifetime to have something have an opportunity like that mm-hmm. and to be able to have it published well and it kind of it kind of ran after me and it was it, I'm still kind of dumbfounded by how the process occurred grateful and um, um, just you know it, it kind of set us on our trajectory here so um, we do that a lot uh, now it's um, it's a lot to keep the store and the 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 business, the design business, balanced, but uh, we've done so. Now you done asked me a question though about about was that did I answer that properly with the inspiration? You did, yeah. Who good, inspires good. you? The other thing that inspires me is the artists. One of the surprising mm-hmm. aspects of the business is I really didn't anticipate having as many art pieces and artworks, whether they be new furniture that's designed by a dis- furniture designer or art on the walls, but I. I, I never thought of Scout as a gallery. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't because I don't think that galleries are very relevant today. I find it odd to walk into a big white room and ask to respond to certain pieces on the wall. I love art in context. And uh, Scout has allowed us to have artists present their works in vignettes and in context. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, a, um, a big four by four square of bicycle tire tubes stretched over this this frame all of a sudden you put that into the context of a of a beautiful steel console and you put that over it all of a sudden it's like oh that makes sense i see what that looks like but out of context to the other home furnishings art to me sometimes feels very cold very irrelevant it doesn't feel very um personal it feels like it's just detached from everything else Mm. so um to the artists that have graced our walls, I am forever grateful. Uh, Michelle Peterson, Michael McGuire, the folks across the way from us, all the way through to the current work that we're showing by Mariano Chavez. We're showing these cyanotypes, and he's been with us for a year, and we can't get them from him fast enough. They seem to be mm-hmm. such a fan favorite. But uh, And everything in between has just been uh, remarkable. The inspiration and the uh, the knowledge I've gained from being around artists like that they're they're great great folks that's such a good segue because we were going to ask you about Andersonville Arts Week ah, which you have yes. always um uh, I've been right there at the beginning in, absolutely and we're going into our 16th year this year we're moving it to September it's going to be September 12th through the 16th and um yeah can you just tell us what that event has kind of meant to you in the past and have you done any thinking about what you might do this year for it you know, I just, I've always thought that um, um, the events that the chamber has created are just really smart and relevant. I remember distinctly the year that funding was challenged for a variety of reasons, and um, I think it was the first year that Harry Osterman was the, the alderman, and he came to the rescue and said, how much do you guys need to pull this off? And I remember it came from a 
special fund of his and so forth. Am I perhaps saying too many private internal things? But um, I think that was... I can fact check that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Arts Week has, has been uh, a way for Andersonville to strut its stuff and to really really um, stay relevant out there. You know, special events to me are a big part of what makes retail click. And um, from the very beginning, we always had uh, this big party for for our artists on Friday night. And um, I think it's generally known that we throw one heck of a party. We've got a great (coughs) mailing list and a great group of folks that always seem to want to come by. I'd like to think it's more, more than the open bar. And it's just uh, just the fact that it's really a good chance for everybody to kind of come together and embrace embrace art as we know it and embrace the current art that we're showing. So we do a big event on Friday night, and um, we typically run that through the week. Last year, with the with the expansion of Arts Week to include other art forms, uh, we wanted to do something that was a little different. And I think we're we're trying to plan something a little special, a little different, you know. Um, there's a, an individual who knows how to make a great hors d'oeuvre tray, and she is fairly well-known in the mm-hmm. community for, for being good at that. So I'd love to do an event where we kind of show how to pull something like that together, maybe using some platters or trays or vessels that Scout can kind of pull together, try to make it relevant to both our business but also the artistic community uh, as it's expanded. Um, so I, I love what I love what the chamber is doing with uh, not not just a clue to you guys, but uh, you do a heck of a job with those events and you make them make them sing and ring and um, it's a lot of work to pull those off and you do a wonderful job. Thank Glad you. Glad that they're part of our <laughs> our year. Well, now we've reached the part of our interview um, where we ask which Andersonville business you would like to trade places with for a day. Oh, that's unfair. You can't. <laughs> and people may or may not have said you already, so no pressure in your choice. Well, I wouldn't know if they had because I've not listened to the podcast as often. Now I'm going to obviously go back and listen. Um, We're going to edit that part out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Who, um, I've got to find out. After I say this, can you tell me who, has anybody said me by any chance? Yes. I forget off the top of my mind, but I'll remember. That's that's wild. That's, that's, I'm like, that's blown, I'm blown away by that. Well, um, I will also just insert while you think about your answer, Hallie Borden, who is the owner of Milk. Oh yeah. She had a great story about mm -hmm. you because we were asking her Mm -hmm. what it was like opening her business. Open your doors already. Yeah. And that you just showed up one day and you said, enough, (laughs) open your doors already. I'm looking at you prepping, get it open. (laughs) And she said it was just such a wonderful moment of like, (laughs) Just do it, you know, just 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 take the leap, just do it. So well, before I make that statement about who I'd like to trade places with, I I'm a believer that we should all get to know each other really well. I love walking across the street and hanging out at Andy's and Transistor. I love going next door to Candiality and uh um I'm eating way too much candy these days by virtue <laughs> of going over there, but um, I go because I think we all have to know each other's rhythm and, and, and energy. Um, you know, I must go into um, Brownstone twice a week, twice a day across the street. Tilly's, uh, I think she's the best shopkeeper in the city of Chicago. Um, you know, Susan just does a wonderful job. Um, I, I never go beyond the strip to buy. I think we all kind of want to just stay 
in that world. Um, I don't need anything that's not found on the strip. You know, it's it's really an odd thing. Um, I, I have to choose one, don't I? That's going to be really hard. Just for one day, trade places. There's there's 364 other days, so. You know, I'd like to trade places with is the uh, the guys who own Taste of Lebanon. Mm. What a place that is. Mm-hmm. Um, they sling that hash every day. The guys in the back. And talk about a value, and the quality is so good, but the experience is what I'm always kind of struck by. Whenever I go in there, they always have a kind, generous smile for you. They know me by name. They know so many customers. I'll sit down at the one of the tables and wait for the items. They come out from behind there with their bag, and they... I mean, every time they present it to me, it's like the first time. It's like... Uh, and I just would love to be in a business that just slings it that quickly and puts it out there as, as often as they do and is connected to their customers as they are. I just think that they're a wonderful, wonderful business. They have the best lentil soup in the city of Chicago. Our, our marketing uh, director, Joel, gets that all the time. Yeah. So <laughs> it sustains her. But a couple other places that I get, I would love to trade places. Folks behind the counter at uh, Andersonville Wine and Spirits. Michael at Vincent. I mean, what a what a impresario he is in terms of uh, he's an old-time restaurateur in a young man's body and it just is wonderful how he does that um you know tim and bob at brownstone i'd love to be them if i were a woman i'd be at tilly's uh every day i'd be sucking lemon wedges through cheesecloth to fit in what they've got (laughs) because she's just got a great offering there i just I, i love that and um Oh my God, uh, you know, Karen at the uh, at the Swedish Museum. Um, if I'm there at six thirty in the morning, she's there at six fifteen. Mm-hmm. If I'm there till seven at night, she's there till seven thirty. Nobody works harder or is more committed to her business, quote unquote, than than she is for that museum. What a lucky, lucky person uh, they have in her. She's yeah. she's wonderful. Anyway, that's well, you, that's my story. You nailed that. You yeah, nailed that. That was question. Question. Um, yeah. I'm going to insert one final question. Oh, yeah, Go sure. a little bit rogue. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if this question will resonate with you, yeah. but if, you know, thinking of kind of life and business and chapters, I'm curious, what do you feel is Scout's next chapter coming up or is Larry Vodak's next chapter? What's kind of, what's, what's next? You know, I, I love the brand. We have to keep evolving the brand. Uh, having been in advertising for 26 years, I know that brands are living, breathing, evolving elements. Retail is changing drastically, very quickly these days. In fact, the past two years, I think we've seen more change in the past five. And I have no reason to believe that it's not going to accelerate these changes. We have to keep making Scout uh, a place that people want to make, uh, um, want to spend some time in, and that it's it, it pays off uh, that that investment in time. I'm of the belief that small retail has got to become more experiential. Uh, I've said that from the mountaintops that. We've got to be the uh, Floyd's Barbershop of the antiques business. I want people to feel like they can come in and sit a spell and chat and engage each other and be a part of a dialogue. Um, but to do that, we've got to change our look. We've got to have 
couches that are in there that are not necessary for sale all the time, but that are kind of permanent that people feel like they can set a spell. It's things like that. I just think that we're going to have to change. And the, the, the design business is, is going to be key to what we do. Uh, we will always have Scout the store, but it will be kind of an introduction to what we can offer. People want don't want projects. They want things completed. They don't want to buy necessarily one-off. They want a room done. And we think we can do that in a really workmanlike fashion. And we can do it in a smart way. And the Scout look, we can... We can dress it up, we can dress it down, but the scout look has remained kind of the, the basis for all that stuff. So that's kind of what our future is going to be involved. It's always going to involve me, you know. I've, I've got to be there. And uh, I look forward we to it. We wouldn't want it any other way. No. Well, thank you, Larry, so much for being here. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Scout, stop on by the store and talk to Larry himself. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Lovely. Thanks for the opportunity to yak about myself. (laughs) Appreciate it. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.